Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Here in the Northern Rockies, dark winter months are outlasted in basements, dens, and nooks, where kindred souls gather together to share intel, swap fly patterns, and relive the memories from seasons past. This gathering spot known locally as the February Room is the inspiration for this podcast, no matter the season, the door is always open to those with a fly fishing story to tell. Brought to you by CD Fishing USA, the North American distributor for composite development fly rods and accessories. 40 years of Kiwi ingenuity and graphite technology now available at cd-fishing.us or your local CD USA dealer. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. And remember to go fishing. Here's your host, the Carnops, and this is the February Room. Our fishing buddies have seen us at our best, you know, fabricating some some widget in the remote reaches of a river canyon uh, to solve a problem, uh, and at our worst, uh, for instance, draining the beer cooler dry and leaving the food out for the raccoons. Uh, we share a dialogue with our fishing buddies that nobody else can can really understand not our wives, co-workers, or uh, non-fishing friends. Uh, today I have a chance to catch up with an old fishing buddy of mine and rehash some of our exploits. I've known him for nearly 20 years and still can't spell his last name. Jess Tuxerer, welcome to the February Room. Oh man, Judd, so good to be here. Thank you for having me. The last time we hung out and fished together, I believe, was on the South Fork of the Snake and... 
I uh, had to borrow your dog to keep from um, getting hypothermia at night. And uh, did you loan me a sleeping bag too? Um, actually, I think it was one of those intimate moments between us where <laughs> around 4.30 a.m. or 5 a.m. when it was just the gloaming, you know, just first light, um, you were pacing outside my tent. And I remember waking up and, you know, I was sleeping, had a dog snuggled with me. And I just remember you saying, I'm freezing to death. Can I just get in there with you? And I'm pretty sure it was you, me, and my chocolate lab, Eddie, in the same sleeping bag <laughs> at about 5.15 in the morning. <laughs> yeah, that was a... Man, that was a uh, that was a prime example of being of a of a experienced uh, or so called experienced uh, river guy uh, being completely ill prepared. We uh, we launched on a on an August trip, and you know it was a hundred degrees in Montana. And uh, man, all the all the trips I've done in August, it's been just sweltering hot throughout the West, and that was not the case. Uh, in your neck of the woods. It was no, no. rigid at night. Oh, about 40 degrees, 38, and then the dew point, you know, you hit the dew point and everything gets wet. <laughs> I, bring, I, I brought like a, a, a tiny fleece sleeping bag yes. and no warm clothes. <laughs> I think you direct quote, I don't want this to get weird, but I'm going to go ahead and snuggle you. <laughs> yeah. I had to. If there'd have been a dead tauntaun around, you'd have had to had to throw me in there. I was I was dying, man. Oh god, it's pretty amazing. Your pacing is what woke me up. Like I know, <laughs> god, it was cold. I mean, like, am I going to have to defend myself? <laughs> that dog was sure warm, man. That was a oh, what a great little heater. Well, that uh, yeah, that was one for the books. Um, I, I know that uh, you you fish all the time, and I know you've got a bunch of stories that I haven't heard. Do you have one from the? Do you have a treasure from the chest you can lay on me? Oh, sure. You know, I mean, it's it might be one of those stories where you had to be there to truly appreciate the hilarity of it. But it's probably about twenty years ago, and you know, and I'm fishing with another buddy whom you know well, my buddy Lucas, who he's a guide in Missoula, and probably will be for the next three decades and for the last two decades. Um, and so, it, you know, it was got to be about 20 years ago now. And it was a March trip, you know, mid-March, maybe late March. And, uh, you know, eagerly as anybody that knows the hatches around Missoula, you know, just anticipating the squall hatch, you know. And this was in an era where you could go float the Bitterroot on a Saturday and you wouldn't see that many boats, you know. And so... You know, Jeff and I, you know, we go decide to float, you know, pretty close to Hamilton, you know, figuring, you know, middle of the river might be the best chance to uh, get into some bugs, you know, and we're, we want to stubbornly, you know, fish dry flies. We'd probably had a banner day if we did just one streamers or, you know, nymphed a turd and a worm or something, you know, because there's probably way more nymphs than there were adult bugs, but we just want to catch fish on dries after a long winter. And so I think the only thing we brought with us was some fried chicken and a case of PBR. And we start floating and it's a little bit chilly in the morning, you know, so we decide to pull over in an eddy. It's just like, well, let's just drink a beer, you know, eat some chicken and we'll just, we'll wait. Maybe like get some sun on the water, let the water temperature come up and maybe that'll 
stimulate the fish, you know? And so we pull over, eat a couple pieces of chicken. And I, you know, I mean, I'm younger, I'm not thinking. And I just, we need chicken breast. It's like, what are you doing, man? Leave no trace. And I think I said some naive comment like, well, the, the crawfish, you know, the crawdad's got to eat too, you know? And so we let it warm up, you know? And probably an hour later, we peel out of the eddy and we float, you know? And fish throughout the day. And we do manage to pick up some fish on dries, but it was certainly not a banner day, you know? I mean, we stubbornly fished them, like I said. And we're probably a quarter mile, a half mile above the takeout. And at this point, you know, several PBRs later, I'm just kind of, I mean, I'm over it. Like, I'm not even looking at my bugs anymore, you know. I'm just like my, I'm essentially tight lining, you know, not even recasting. My bugs are down below the boat, you know. I'm turning and I'm talking to Jeff, you know. And also I feel a little like tick, tick, you know, on my flies. I figure it's just, you know, a trout eating a drowned squalor. And so I pull the trigger and I'm like, I think I even said something stupid, like, let's dance. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know and I turn and look at Lucas and I'm smiling. I'm like, yeah, finally, you know, like getting eat because we hadn't had any eat in like two hours, you know. And so, and I did something probably even more dumb, like drop down to side pressure. And I'm like, ah, oh, it doesn't feel very big. And so I'm, you know, hand reeling this fish in and get whatever it is right next to the boat. And what is it? It's the chicken bone, the carcass of the chicken <laughs> bone that I had eaten six hours earlier. <laughs> Somehow, in all the time that we took to get down river, where we had eddied out, tied on different flies, stopped to talk, let the dog swim, this chicken bone had kept pace with us the entire way downstream <laughs> about a quarter mile above the takeout somehow i caught it on the end of my line and so effectively <laughs> i left you know trace that let's dance <laughs> throwing it back in the river i just threw it in the trash can in the boat <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Talk about karma, man. Like, Lucas and I, like, we were laughing so hard. Like, we had tears coming down our face. Like, oh, I bet. couldn't fish. It was just like, let's just, let's, it's, we're done. Let's go out <laughs> here and a burger in a bar somewhere on the way back to Missoula and call her a day. <laughs> let's dance. Let's dance. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, just kind of how punchy you get after a day of slow fishing, you know, and sure. Maybe three or four, six PBRs, you know, over the course of eight hours, you're just, yeah, you get a little, a little, a little sloppy. <laughs> no doubt. No, there was one March Madness that I think you and I spent the entire tournament on the bitter route, and you had a, uh, a BAC hovering somewhere around point two for the better part of three weeks. Oh my God. Just to be in your 20s again, where before you had yeah, no doubt. Well, I mean, it was, it was the beauty of it, you know? I mean, you know, working seasonally as a guide, and, you know, like you'd have a lot of your springs off, and so the ability to just float 25 days in a row. I think at one point uh, you turned and looked at me and were like, Did, what, what day is it? And I looked back at you and I was dead serious. And I was like, March? 
<laughs> that was as close as we could come. Yeah, that was. You, you remember I had like a, like Sirius satellite radio yep. had kind yep. of just come out, and I had that little portable unit that you could pull out, and we'd bring that with us so we could listen to the games. Oh, I remember fondly. I mean, we would listen to the entire NCAA tournament and just fish squalas and namuras on the Bitterroot all day long. You know, God, that was awesome. And that was before I had a mortgage and, you know, a son and a wife and a career. (laughs) Right. Speaking of which, uh, you're, you're a school teacher in Jackson. Yes, I am. Yep. Yeah. In uh, in high school or. Yep. High school. I, uh, I teach at Jackson Hall high school. Uh, I teach English 11, which is world literature to my juniors. And then I teach college English to my seniors and, so these kids have concurrent enrollment through Central Wyoming College. They earn college credit throughout their senior year, which is great. Um, I used to coach the football team, um, but after coaching football for about a decade, I just I missed my fall. You know, I mean, throwing streamers for grounds in the fall, you know, chasing elk in the fall, and you know, it was just too much. So I kind of retired from that, but I still coach soccer in the springtime. Um, and I help train athletes in the weight room after school. So I just... Oh, you, know, you I, do? Yeah, I help supervise the weight room, work out with the kids, um, just push them to be, you know, just live, make healthier decisions in their lives, you know, and give them an opportunity to do so. Awesome. And are you still... Um, I, I know over the last couple of years, you've still been doing a little whitewater guiding in the summer. Are you still doing that? Or are you done with that now that you got the boy? I'm still doing it, man. Like, I think this is year... 22 guiding, you know, so, um, what is nice is that being, you know, as being a professional, being a teacher, um, I don't have to do it seven days a week. Like I did previously down here, you know, down in Jackson, it's, uh, you do five trips a day, man. You have a 8am, a 10am, a 12:30, a 2:30, and a 4:30. So you and burn, you're doing 40 miles of water in a day, 40 miles of river in a day, five trips a day. And, I mean, instead of like the small boats that they run in Montana, you know, like your Super Puma or your Moravia Spider, or, you know, maybe you got a 14 or 15 foot air, you're running 18 to 20 foot boats with five thwarts and you're packing 16 people in there and a stern frame and you're just pushing rubber down the river, man. <laughs> so, Whoa, it's just McRafting. It's McRafting at its finest, but it's awesome. It's a beautiful river canyon, you know, and, you know, people are there to have fun. So rafting's rafting, you know, like just, and there's, there's big waves. I mean, like those big boats, like during our high water season, those big 18 and 20 footers, I mean, they're, they flip like pretty routinely, you know, and then even as the water drops, some different features come in, you know, like kahuna or a double draw, you know, and like you see, you see the underside of a, quite a few boats down there, so... Wow, cool. Um, I whitewater guided before I became a fishing guide in yeah. Oregon. And, um, you know, it, it was the best job for a fisherman because um, not only are you, are you on the river, but um, I had the prime times to fish by myself, right? Like I had the morning and the evening every day. Yep. And then I'd go, I'd go run my trips from, you know, 10 till 4 or whatever. And, um, and yeah, it's it, like the river never disappoints when you're a whitewater guide, right? The rapids are always there. Yep. It's always beautiful. I mean, yeah, granted you can flip and it's dangerous and, uh, and it can go south, but, um, 
But, you know, where we went, it was, there was definitely that element. But if you played it safe, you could pretty much, um, you know, uh, minimize the the risk of flipping a boat on the Deschutes. And, um, and it was, uh, it was just awesome because it wasn't, you didn't have that element of, oh my gosh, you know, the fishing's slow. Right. Uh, this dude's yeah. getting weird because the fishing's slow and they don't have a skill set to, to, you know, get the fishing part done that there's not really that element so much in the whitewater guiding that I did. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, and you're absolutely right. You know, it's like, even though we turn and burn down there, you know, it's, you still have the best part of the day to yourself. Like whenever I'm down in the Canyon and I know I've got a five trip day, I still bring a fly rod with me, you know, and I can sneak away in the morning for 20 minutes, you know, and there's always a pot of fish up eating caddis or PMDs, you know, and go catch three or four fish and then work my day or even between trips, you know, and then even when I was younger and I, I was a kayaker and, you know, liked river boarding, you know, and just like surfing. Like I love, there's like, especially as like a fledgling guide being on the Alberton Gorge, you know, is where I kind of cut my teeth as a young guide and, I mean, so many different features would come in as the water would rise, you know, with our snow melt and runoff. And then as the water would recede, I mean, between triple bridges and compole and church wave and just there's always something to play in, always something to surf. It was just you could wake up early and bring a thermos of coffee down to the river and surf for an hour and then come and work your trips and clean up. And then at the end of the day, you know, grab transition from coffee to a couple of cold ones and, you know, go down and surf at night, you know, and it was, it was a pretty special experience being able to do that, you know, throughout, you know, college years and beyond. So, and if you didn't feel like surfing that day, then bring your fly rod down to the river and, you know, just wait for the caddis to stop or start popping and, you know, kind of that magic hour like that as the sun goes down and you have about that half hour, 45 minutes before it's jet black, just throw some caddis out there and let those rainbows on the lower Clark Fork work their magic, you know? Yeah, man, that's awesome. And I'm sure that the, you know, the clients are are probably, um, uh, much more stoked to see a guide show up with 25 years of experience rather than a, you know, a, a 21 year old frat boy who's hung over. Yeah. Um, yeah <laughs> you still get some of that down there in the Canyon as well. you know, on the snake river, but, uh, you know, the crew I work for down there is fantastic. You know, I've been guiding with them for 10 years and I think about a lot of the different crews I've worked for. I think this is the fourth outfitter that I've worked for over my career and outrun anything anywhere with those guys, the attention to detail that they have, safety, their experience. I mean, it's, you know, they're all, you'll look at some other outfits and they kind of have what you described, you know, some 21, 22 year old brat boys, or I mean, maybe they wear outfits or like a cow outfit while they're guiding. (laughs) You know, I look at my crew and it's like, hell yeah, fellas, let's like, let's get this done, you know? So, um, And I think you're right. I think the customers appreciate that, you know, like the confidence we have, but also the the respect we have for the river, knowing that, you know, know, regardless of our experience, the river's in charge, you know, and being keenly aware of that. I think they they do appreciate it. Right. Um, And you're surrounded by water there. Um, The the fishing possibilities are are endless, kind of like they are here. Absolutely. yeah, can you can you uh, kind of go into your home waters a little bit? Like, uh, what are some of your not not to give away any spots, but yeah, right. um, 
you know, what's kind of the scene around you? What do you like to go do if you got a, a couple days off oh, close I mean, to home? Uh, love to float, um, but also love to use my legs, you know, um, if the ambitious sort, um, if you want to hike and hike a few miles and get off the beaten track, I mean, there are beautiful Alpine lakes where you can go fish for grayling, you know, and it is, can be, it, it's almost like you, the further you hike, if you're willing to go five, six, seven, ten miles, you know, for a day of fishing one way, it's like every step you take is like turning back the clock because you get back to that old school ability to find that small mountain lake where it's every cast, every other cast, every five casts, you're catching cutties and grayling, you know, and that's fun, you know, and especially a lot of people like to recreate up north in the parks. I don't like to do that. I like to go south um, and east, and uh, I do a lot of fishing in the tributaries, the the Wind Rivers, um, and uh, even further south, and you just don't see anybody because everybody's all geeked out and ready to be in the national parks when there is so much to explore in the national forests. And in the national forests, as a dog owner, I can bring my chocolate labs and just go get lost, you know, and now, so if you are adventurous and you want to hike, you can certainly do that and fish the tributary that you're walking up, um, you know, all the way up to the lakes. But then love doing floating. You know, I love to float. Like we, uh, we float a lot of those high desert rivers, you know, um, and those tributaries of the winds and they just have beautiful fish, you know, and you can fish it. it it's a lot like fishing in Montana. If you want to nymph it, you can. If you want to streamer fish it, you can. If you want to be a dry fly purist, you are certainly able to do that, you know? And I think one of my favorite floats is kind of high desert hoppers, you know, like especially later in the summer, July, August, you know, if you got a couple of days off and now that, uh, floating with a, you know, a half rack or a full rack of PBR isn't a priority anymore, get up early, you know, like be up at two or three, be on really early and be off the river by the time, uh, you know, people are putting on and fish that nocturnal stone hatch. Like that is super fun. It is the big fish come out to play. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, man. You know, Montana gets all the, Montana gets all the glory, but uh, for better or for worse, um, Wyoming is amazing. I obviously haven't spent near as much time poking around there as you have, but just been starting to make some trips out there and explore a little bit. And, uh, yeah, the fishing possibilities are endless. And like you said, you just don't see the people. You don't, you know, and like, like anything, you know, I mean, this industry, you've just seen this explosion over the years and I've seen, you know, Montana blow up and Idaho blow up and Wyoming is starting to blow up, you know, but, you know, it's, I think a way to like, I mean, the million dollar question, like, how do you not love it to death? You know, like, especially in this COVID era where everybody's getting outside, like vary the time you're on the water, you know, like try to be on the water when people aren't there, you know, like one of the best things we do is there's this particular river up there that a couple of times a summer, maybe once a summer, July, August, we wait for the full moon and we put on right at dark and we float about this 15 mile stretch that uh, is very friendly that you can do in the dark. And we just throw mouse patterns the entire Ugh. And it is amazing how those river systems at night come alive. You know, I mean, just what you hear next to you and you can't see and you think it's a huge moose. And so you turn on your headlight and it's actually just 
a beaver working in, you know, on, on the edge, on the shore. And, um, and then what you think is a beaver, you turn on your headlight and it's like, Oh dear God, that is a huge moose. <laughs> That's 10 feet away. <laughs> um, but the blowups you get, you know, you might get three a night and a good night, maybe you get 10, but it's Jeez. like big blowups on the mouse patterns where are like somebody threw up, you know, a bowling ball in the river. You know, and chances are you're going to trout set because you've been, you're going to geek out because it's been two hours, nothing, and all of a sudden, kasploosh, you know, and you trout set instead of strip set. But even when you miss it, man, it is super fun. You know, just your heart's in your throat, you know, like you're so excited and geeked out on coffee that you feel like you're going to throw up. But, you know, you miss the fish, but it was pretty special when it happened. Oh, man, that sounds amazing. That's, uh, you know, I've dinked around a little bit with the mouse thing around here and never really had anything too spectacular happen. Had a couple of eats, caught a big old squapper that I thought was a brown <laughs> till we got it to the boat. But <laughs> I, would, uh, I, I need to come do that one with you. Absolutely, man. I mean, at my age now, I mean, God, I wish I was younger. I mean, because I could do that and then transition right into like a hopper float afterwards and not worry about sleeping now. Like, yeah, stay up all night. Like I'm just destroyed for like three days. Afterwards. Yeah, that's a tough one. And and you don't even touch a beer, you know, and you're just right. due to lack of sleep. So. Yeah, that's a tough one, but worth doing. I mean, you can still yeah. muster the energy to go. I could, I could go do it once. Yeah. You know, like, like clockwork, my phone will ding in late March and it'll be from you. And it's a, a picture of an enormous um, Lahontan cutthroat. Um, you've kind of made a, a you, you have a little bit of a new springtime tradition going on. Can you tell me about, uh, your adventures in Nevada a little bit? Yeah. You know, um, I was kind of coerced into going to Pyramid Lake by a couple of my buddies, you know, and it, it I was reluctant at first, you know, I mean, all the research that I had done is, you know, you know, belly boats and chronomid fishing, you know, with, you know, 15 foot leaders under a bobber. And, you know, we're going to go for four days and stare at a bobber for, you know, 120 hours, you know, kind of begrudgingly went this first time, you know, about five years ago. And it's, we did do that, you know, you're fishing the rocks, you know, these lava rocks. And the first time I went, I stepped where I thought there was rock and just ripped the butt out of my waders and was frustrated. But the very first time I went, you know, I caught a decent Lahotan and the fishing was okay. I think in a three day fishing trip, caught a handful of Lahotans, but like any fishery, you know, I started going back annually, you know, with the same crew and started tying different patterns, you know, different chronomids, you know, experimenting with colors. And it's, it's an interesting area, you know, it is reminiscent of Alaska. You know, it can be some combat fishing where you're sitting there on a beach and you look left and there's 30 anglers spread out to your left and you look right. and There's 15 anglers spread out to your right. And it's frustrating in that regard, but the challenge is getting these fish that see so many flies throughout the year, you know, like hundreds upon, like not hundreds, thousands upon thousands of flies. How can you tie something that's unique that is going to stick out from the rest? And on my second trip and my third trip on subsequent trips, we really started to figure out the fishery. And I think it was on my third trip, it was kind of just slow fishing and I started to get a little frustrated. And I was like, you know what? The freaking trout, man. And so I walked to my truck, 
tied on like some articulated, you know, streamer pattern. And because everybody's throwing their boobies and their leech patterns and their chronomids, I just started fishing. Do you have booby anglers? <laughs> right. <laughs> so I just started fishing. Like I'd fish, you know, trout in Montana and Idaho and Wyoming. And guess what started happening? I just started roping fish, man, because everybody is throwing what the fly shops prescribe. You know, like this pattern, that pattern. Nobody's and, hucking big streamers. And if you just go and huck meat, man, like it was, it was great, you know, super fun. And what I realized instead of having to be, you know, throwing these chronomids underneath, you know, 15 feet of mono, you can just go, go tie up something that they just don't see often and go streamer fish and fish it like you would if you were 16 years old, you know, fishing trout for the first time and super fun, you know? And it's kind of, I reluctantly kind of fell in love with it, you know, cause I thought it was going to be just a bobber nymph fest. And it turned out that you can just go and huck meat, man, and do well. And we actually caught it last year when we were there, we caught it on a heater. I mean, it was the best I've ever seen it fish. Um, I watched a couple of guys, um, that weren't in my, in my group, you know, they were a couple of ladders down from me and they were landing fish for their friends, but made the mistake of reeling their, their lines in their flies in, but leaving them in the water and the fish were on the bite so much that they would just eat right next to the ladder and your thousand dollar fly rod and reel gone. So <laughs> that's how much they were on the bite, you know? So, but it's a lake that can, because you can catch a fish of a lifetime on any given cast, it keeps you on your toes, but it can completely humble you. You can go over there for three straight days and just get blanked, 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 you know? So it can be on or off, but it's fun. I mean, it's kind of opened my eyes to what can be out there, you know? And I mean, it's certainly not as remote as Strobel Lake. It's, you know, right there outside of Reno, but it's fun. It can challenge any angler. And if you want to go catch a 30 inch fish that weighs 20 pounds, you know, it's they're in that lake. So, and can it, it can weather the bejesus out of you, right? Oh, God, man. After three or four days on that lake in a row, I mean, and it is, they are marathon days. You're up at four, you're right there at five at sunup, and you fish all the way to sundown. I mean, with that lake and that wind and that brackish water. I mean, it is, it's salt water in that lake, you know, it's you, it ages you. I mean, you show up like, <laughs> you look like you come home looking like an old sailor. You do, man, an old salt. <laughs> I, mean, I love those trips. Yeah. When you come home and your wife just kind of like glares at you for a minute and like, oh my God. What, what is that thing? <laughs> what happened to my husband? <laughs> Who are you? Yeah. All your knuckles are split, you know, your your lips are chapped, you're sunburned, you've got dry skin just poking out of every ex area that was exposed to the elements, you know, and it takes you a solid two to three weeks to heal from three to five days on that lake. It, you know, it's got its hooks in me. We're going back this year, the same crew that's been going for the last five years. We're going. Well, if you if you ever you have an empty seat in the rig, let me know, man. I'd love to come down there and do that. Are you are you fishing off a ladder yourself? So there's all sorts of 
ladders, you know, that you can use. There's, uh, there's some companies down there that build those custom ladders that actually they wheel out. It's on a tripod system and they have a platform with like a swivel chair on it, you know, and that's what my buddies get, you know, and me, I mean, you know, me, Judd, you know, probably stilts. better. I, I'm envisioning a set of stilts. <laughs> I'm on a pogo stick out there. <laughs> no, I've just got a six foot paint ladder. You know, I'm not going to spend four hundred dollars on no. something I'm going to use for three days a year. You know, if that is your cup of tea, do it. No judgment. You know, but I've got a six foot painting ladder that I just set out there. You know, and I mean, and and the thing is, you. You could wait it. You could go out waist deep, but that water is cold, man. And in spite of your best layering, and then once the wind whips up, those waves are gonna be four, five feet tall. I watched my buddy Jens get just devoured by a wave. I mean, he tried to jump it, took his legs out. There goes Jens. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, just to get out of the water and be above the surface, just to conserve body temperature, is it's huge. I mean, and that and your back cast i mean you're double hauling streamers all day you know and instead of slapping the water behind you because you're waist deep to be five six feet above the water you know it helps a lot you know to get to get out to the drop offs where the fish are so so can you see is there a sight fishing element or is it largely blind casting or a mix of both or a little bit of both you know i mean if you're nymphing you're blind casting and you're waiting for that school to come through you know and What's pretty amazing is that you could tell you can you, you can tell when you get eaten because either one you can see the fish those Lahotans I mean they've got a I don't, I don't know what what they're doing and it's been the topic of discussion between my buddies and I like they will come up and breach you know they come up and I don't know if they're just slurping air for their air bladders you know or they you know but uh, hmm. but uh, you'll see them breach and you'll see them roll on the surface and they come through in schools and so either you see them and know to be ready and try and time your cast accordingly if you're throwing streamers. Um, or you'll know because you watch 15 anglers down a hookup, then a minute later, 10 anglers down a hookup, then a moment later, five anglers down a hookup. So for me, instead of just blind casting, when you kind of become keenly aware of these hints that those trout give you, you know, just try and time it accordingly, you know, like instead of speed up your cast and like get as many in the water as you can because you know the school's coming try and time it perfectly and if you're if you can kind of get that that rhythm down like you can you can kind of predict when a strike's going to happen or when when the fish are coming through you know visually as well as looking at the other anglers cool man it sounds super interesting i'd love to go check it out one of these years judd you are always welcome like we'd, we'd love to have you it's just me and two buddies that have been going down so there's plenty of room and either we sleep in the bats and the trucks on the beach, you know, because it's all, you know, you're on the reservation there um, and the beaches are open. You can camp on them or, you know, there's some small rooms that you can get at uh, one of these local, like, it's not even a resort. It's just kind of like fishing cabins you can get next to the river or next to the, next to the lake. Um, awesome. It, when you, uh, when you guided out here, you worked for a company that was also really involved in, um, in whitewater rescue. Yeah. Yeah. And were you, I don't recall, were you, I, I, I seem to remember that you were involved in, in some of those whitewater rescue efforts um, in, in, in real life, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like I, uh, Can you tell us one of those stories? Yeah. I, uh, I worked for Montana River Guides at the time. You know, Mike Johnston was the owner um, and he was certified through Rescue 3 International to teach swiftwater rescue. And 
he and Cody Harris went on to um, form the Whitewater Rescue Institute, which is still um, based out of Missoula in the Bitterroot Valley. I mean, they train people from around the world and travel around the world training people in swift water rescue. And I used to hand, you know, help with those classes, working as a guide. And, uh, you know, I wasn't certified as a swift water instructor, but given my river experience and I was a lead guide with them, um, I would help with the training. Um, so we do a lot of training on the Blackfoot, you know, certifying firefighters. Like we'd have Coast Guards would, uh, Coast Guard mem- members of the Coast Guard would come in and do some of their continuing education. Like we even began to, with our outreach, like train Navy SEALs, you know, to diversify what they could do. Um, and uh, obviously trained guides from Idaho, Montana, you know, Wyoming, you know, any chance we could do. Um, and on one particular case, we were doing, we were on a trip on the gorge and it was a higher water trip. I think the water is probably 24, 25,000. Um, and it was, I think a four boat move. Um, there was four rafts. I was the lead raft and coming behind the rafts were several river boarders, um, who happened to be Navy SEALs, um, that were just doing some training and then, uh, river boarding along with the trip. And on this particular day, this was, this was a long time ago, probably more than 20 years a log had come and lodged below tumbleweed below that pinch right there um and it stretched probably a halfway across the river um so there was a significant obstacle a strainer that had lodged between a couple of the biggest rapids between split rock and tumbleweed and as a lead boat coming through i I could tell i was riding a surge you know like the river like just fluctuates so much during our high water flows there like i've been eddied out running safety for trips where I'm on a river board and I'm sitting in one of those micro eddies and you know, that they're, they're kind of like changing room eddies along tumbleweed on river left as you're coming down, you know, and they're like these chimneys that have just been carved out over millennia of high water. And you can be sitting there with your hand on the rock and you're neck deep in the water waiting for the boats to go by. And then all of a sudden you're waist deep or knee deep, you know, because the surge has gone through and the water's dropped. And so that's how much the water pulses through there. And I could tell that I was riding a pulse. So I come through, you know, and there's kind of a sneak line on the left during high water because there's a big reaction wave coming off the wall at tumbleweed on the bottom right at those levels. And I come through and as I'm, as it opens up into the eddies below tumbleweed, I see what I couldn't see before, which was the strainer that is halfway across the river, you know, and it was covered by water, but as the surge dropped, it exposed the log. And I think think there's a few choice words because all the water pushes to the left right there. Um, And reset my angle quick, you know, and dig in all forward, dig, 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 and manage to hit the strainer with the stern of my boat but was able to spin my boat off the strainer. And I immediately got on my whistle, started blowing, you know, on my whistle, like just long blasts, like, and pointing positive, pointing away from the strainer, you know, pointing away so the boats behind me knew um, that, you know, like the hazard was there. And the other three boats managed to miss it. And truthfully, I think only one of the other three boats saw it because the water surged again, the river surged, and it covered that strainer back up. Our river boarders came through next, and Johnston was the, the lead river boarder, a couple of people behind him, and then we had a sweet boarder who was uh, another guide, and he actually got caught on the strainer. 
and somehow managed, and he was caught there long enough that Johnston eddied out below the strainer, had enough time to walk upstream and was yelling at him, do you need a rope, do you need a rope, do you need a rope, but was able to identify the strainer soon enough that he aggressively swam at it and was able to get high enough on it that he shimmied his way over. Um, Johnston. Uh, uh, the sweep uh, or the, the guy that was stuck the other guy that was stuck somehow oh, okay I so mean, he swam he was able to swim over the top of it yeah after being okay. stuck he was able to shimmy his way over and we were all pretty shook i mean we that was enough for us to cancel our trips um and unfortunately you know um the rescue scenario ended up a the next day a young woman um got bounced oh, that's out. right yep got bounced out above and swam all the way through tumbleweed all the way um, into that strainer and unfortunately drowned. And we were there for part of that body recovery, you know, and it was a very profound lesson that I learned early in my guiding career, you know, like wood, water, um, the consequences. I mean, it's something I remember so vividly to this day, you know, and unfortunately if you spend enough time on the water, there's been, you, you, you see, you know, that scenario repeat itself in different aspects, you know, I mean, it's, the river's a possible, a very powerful thing, you know, I mean, and you see not only whitewater accidents, but fishing accidents, you know, people not wearing life jackets while they're in drift boats and cold water and cold water immersion. So there's been a lot of rescues over the years. Well, anglers are, as a, as a group, or generally tend to be somewhat ill-prepared, yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> they often don't wear life jackets, um, rarely wear life jackets, I should say, myself included. I mean, I'll put one on if I'm running Rock Creek in the in the springtime or, you know, during high water on the upper Bitterroot or something. But, um, yeah, it, you know, as generally as a group and we had Jason Shredder on from Zootown Surfers wow. a while ago and he kind of reiterated this like he's like, I'm kind of amazed at the level of nonchalance that I see amongst the fly fishing crowd on whitewater rivers. Yeah, no, me too. You know, and I'm, I'm guilty as charged, you know, and like of all people, you know, who has been on the river in a whitewater capacity for so many years. I mean, I fish as many days as I recreate whitewater, you know, I don't wear a life jacket when I'm fishing, you know, it's, it's July, it's 80 degrees. I'm fishing hoppers, but I mean, should, my buddy be paying more attention when he's on the sticks to looking at my bugs than he is to, you know, route finding. We hit a rock, yeah. I fall out, I hit my head. I'm not wearing a life jacket. I'm going to drown, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. So it's, I, I'm guilty as charged as well. I mean, and it seems super ironic given my background in river safety, swift water rescue, um, and running river trips for as long as I have. So wear your life jacket. <laughs> <laughs> That's the takeaway. Well, awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for uh, for the time, and it was great to catch up with you. I know you're busy with family now, um, yeah. out on the out on the west coast. Um, so uh, we'll let you get back after it. But uh, yeah, text me the dates when you guys are thinking about that pyramid trick. I, oh, I, I'd we, love to swing down and, and experience that. We love to have you, man. Go to thefebruaryroom.com where you can access a complete library of our podcast and read more about our guests, their fishing stories, and favorite fly patterns. We're always looking for exceptional fly fishing yarns, and if you have one to spin, shoot us an email at info at thefebruaryroom.com. The February Room is always free, but if you feel like throwing a nickel in the pond, 
we appreciate any additional listener support. For companies and individuals interested in sponsorship opportunities, please contact us for our media kit. Thanks for stopping by the February Room, and we'll see you down here next week.